Anybody have a long week? It was supposed to be a short week, but it turned out to be a really long week. And uh, uh, at the school, we took off on Monday, um, but it just got longer and longer and longer. And sometimes you just feel a little physically worn out. Uh, One of the best things I can do when I get that way is to uh, try to handle the Word of God. And I'm grateful that the Lord has given us an opportunity today. Uh, Chris touched base with me. I think it was maybe yesterday afternoon and uh, said he'd be unable to uh, speak this morning. So he wouldn't know if I could uh, uh, fill in. So this topic, treasuring what God treasures, brings us to an understanding. Ultimately, we're going to have to get here. You're going to have to, if you're going to treasure the things that God treasures, you ultimately have to get to prayer. But this is almost overwhelming. When you, uh, Pastor Matthew mentioned the fact that we have a great privilege to be able to pray and bear one another's burdens, uh, and that's certainly true. But this is one of those spiritual disciplines that not only is it a great privilege for us, but it also is a great challenge for us. It's probably one of those areas that all of us feel the children of God, those that are called by his name, all of us probably feel a little inadequate in this area. Don't you? Pray without ceasing. That's one of those things in the scripture that we have to come up with all kinds of explanations of what that really is supposed to mean so we can come close to fulfilling it. And it's sort of overwhelming when we start to look at um, this topic of prayer. And why does God value it so much? One of the things that often, when I grew up, oftentimes you would hear, when people would preach on prayer, they give you pretty much a list. Do it this way, right? And you should do this first, and that first, and this. And really, by the time I got through hearing the messages on prayer, I would always feel guilty that I wasn't praying enough. Guilt is never a good motivation to serve the Lord. Not even if it's doing a good thing. So today... It's really my desire not to guilt you into praying more. I want to pray more, and hopefully you want to pray more, but we're not going to guilt you into that if that's all right with you. Um, I do want to share just a little bit with you about the emphasis that God puts on prayer. There are over 650 specific prayers in the scripture. That's, that's, That's pretty significant. There are 450 direct answers to those prayers. So if you don't get an answer to your prayer right when you think you should, it's still okay. You may not, you may not get it for a while. But God gave 450 specific answers to prayer for us to learn from. Jesus is identified as 25 times uh, speaking to the Lord, his Father, in prayer. The Apostle Paul, over 40 times, he mentions exhortations or prayers or supplications uh, in his writings. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says this to us, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So there's a multitude of information on prayer. Uh, You can spend time every day searching the scripture and reading something different on prayer for an entire year, if that's what you want to do. So, I had a lot of stuff to go through to come up with a message today. 
Sohan. When we look at the significant prayers in Scripture, you can go from Abraham. Uh, one of his great prayers was that prayer of intercession when he prayed for Sodom. And he was trying to talk God down. He said, if there are 50 righteous, will you spare the city? God said, sure. How about 45? God said, sure. 40? God said, yeah. 30? I'll spare it for 30. 20, 10. Gets all the way down to 10 and stops praying. I don't know why. I have my speculations. I do know this. I do know that the scripture talks about righteous lot. And it was an understanding that Lot and his wife were there. He had two sons-in-law, so apparently he had two, two daughters married to him. That made six. He had two daughters that weren't married to anybody. That made eight. All he had to do was find two more righteous people in that city, and Sodom would have been spared. I wonder, I've often wondered this. I've wondered if I would just look at my family Say, Lord, I've shared truth with them. They've come to know you. And if I just had to find two more people that I have personally shared truth with and know that they've come to the Lord, I wonder if Beckley would be spared because of wickedness. It's just a thought, isn't it? I get to this area and I see this great prayer of intercession, praying for someone else. It's easy to pray for ourselves and it's okay. But he prayed for someone else and it was a significant prayer And you know what? There weren't ten, and Sodom wasn't spared. But he interceded for someone else. And then we have David's great prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. Ends up saying this, Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Oh, I think we can all get there too, can't we? We can all understand the significance of Maybe we didn't commit the same sin that David did, but the reality is we need to come before a holy God and just say, God, I need that right spirit within me. Have you ever acted, was there ever one day, and maybe just one day this week, that you reacted with a wrong spirit? Yeah, probably so. Maybe not this week, but maybe last week or the week before. But sometime in our recent past, we've probably lived a day without responding rightly to somebody. And then we have Hezekiah's prayers for deliverance. And God, God delivered him in a, in a miraculous and amazing way. And then he prayed for healing because he was going to die. The prophet came to him and said, get your house in order. You're going to die. You are going to die. And it was not like, yeah, we're all going to die. Give me a couple months or a couple years. No, it was going to be soon. I've often thought about that. If I were to know when that day would be, what would I do? What would I do differently to let the people know I love them the most? Love them. What would I do differently? I've decided, I've been thinking about that a lot because you never know how that goes. But Hezekiah prayed. God spared him and gave him extra 15 years. But I've decided I want to live my life so the people that I love the most know I love them the most. I wanted to be real to them on a daily basis. The last time you see somebody may be the last time you see somebody. You know what I'm saying? So we have these prayers of Hezekiah. They were great prayers. 
and Nehemiah's prayer for success in building the wall. And then we get to Christ. And in Christ's prayer, we have that prayer of submission where he says, not my will, but thine. Not my will, but thine. And that's where he's going to take us to. And he's going to show us why we should be there. He's going to show us why God treasures prayer because of this. And that's where we're going to get to. Hopefully this morning we'll get there. And then we see his high priestly prayer where he prayed for you. He prayed for you. John chapter 17, he speaks of his disciples. But he says, I'm praying for everyone that hears truth through their word. That's us. We are saved because of the word that was transferred from disciples to others, to others, to others, and finally down to us. So there are all kinds of prayers. And there are many more significant ones. Some of the ones that I appreciate, I appreciate Jonah's prayer in the belly of a whale. When things get bad, sometimes you just need to cry out to God in a, in a way that you may never have cried out to him before, but you just need to get before him and say, God, I have really messed this thing up. I've messed this life up and I need you to do something I cannot do for myself. A lot of prayers. So, why does God value prayer so highly? Let's consider the model prayer. It's given by Jesus to his disciples. We often call it the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And and we know it. And we're going to look at that this morning. Because I think there's something in it that uh, we really need to see about treasuring the things that God treasures. In Luke 11, chapter 1, Jesus rehearses this same concept to his disciples again. Because a disciple came to him, and we don't know his name, and I'm glad. But it says that a disciple came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. If it was Peter... We might say, well, Peter was, you know how impulsive he is anyway. And we could come up with some reasons why it didn't apply to us. We could think of John and James and John, the sons of thunder. And they're always so, they wanted to call down fire from heaven and everything. And I could say, you know what, I really don't need that. But what I do know now, I know that an unknown disciple said, I need to know how to pray. And I need to know how to pray better. Nobody ever asked Jesus, teach us to preach. He preached a sermon on the mount. And we go through and we preach series on the entire thing. And nobody said, Jesus, teach us to preach. Nobody said, teach us to do miracles. Teach us to do these things. The only thing they wanted from Jesus was say, teach us to pray. I think that's pretty important to us then. So what Jesus began to do in Matthew chapter 6, he says, I will give you a model. I will show you what it really means to pray to God. Now, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to recite this as some ritual all the time. It's okay to pray it, and we're going to look at it here in just a minute. But he says, I want you to understand how a holy God views you. And I want you to understand why he wants you to communicate 
with him and how you're to do that. So Matthew chapter 6, in verse 9, he says this. And as I read this, let's just see it as what it is, a prayer. So let's reverently approach it. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So as we look at this, what we do understand is that God values the effectual, fervent prayer of his children. James says it avails much. It has great purpose and it has great results. But why does God treasure it so highly? Now, I'm going to answer that question for you here in just a moment. But before we do, I want to share with you one of my challenges. Because before Jesus said this to them about how to pray, he says, don't pray this way. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. That they love to pray. Standing in public places. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm okay with what he says to the hypocrites. He says, don't pray like them. But you know what? My concern is, okay, if you show me Jesus how to pray, just like this unknown disciple, then I will pray. And I will do my best to try to pray the way you want me to. But my challenge is, are there hypocrites that pray more than me? Are there those that have wrong motives that come before a holy God more often than I do as his child that has every reason to come before him as a holy God? So he says, don't pray like they do. But they do pray. And to me, that's the challenge to be able to come before God knowing that he will hear my prayer. There are some prayers in the scripture. I said there are 650. There are some prayers in scriptures that as you read them, they'll take you five, six, seven minutes, maybe a little longer to read. Some like entire chapters. But then there's Nehemiah's prayer when he's facing a situation. He has to give an answer to the king like right now. And he prays. He says in the book of Nehemiah, he says, and I prayed to the Lord. I mean, like with an, in an instant. So every prayer doesn't have to be five pages long or 20 minutes or an hour, but we need to be able to approach God and get in touch with him because we are in a spirit of prayer constantly. Now, I want you to consider this prayer. Why does God treasure this so highly? There are several reasons. First, it reveals a heart that reveres God and results in worship. He says, so pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father, you have a holy name. And we want to come before you and see you as a holy God. 
So he calls us to prayer because it reveals our heart. It reveals that we're not praying with a false motive. We're not revealing with a a self-centered approach. But we come to a holy God and we recognize God first. Have you ever been in a situation when you know you have a great need and you want to just get into it and start asking God for this, that, and the other? And I'll tell you this, when we come to God in prayer, it's about God first. All of our prayers should be God-centered instead of man-centered. So we come before a holy God and we look at him and he gives us the privilege to call him father. Jesus mentioned his father over 70 times. Oh, there was one time he didn't call him that. He just said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? But every other time he saw him as his father. And that is the great privilege that we have. And what I want you to understand about this is he tells us this right here in the middle of chapter 6. Right here in the middle of this teaching that Jesus is going on, doing it uh, that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's right here in the middle of chapter 6. And often what the scripture does, it reminds you of the importance of something by giving it to you in uh, a trinity, if you will. It gives you three things. Like he would say, verily, verily. Or, or he would uh, say, or, or the, uh, the creatures would say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And so we would see these things repeated over and over. Something here that we have that is really essential for the power of prayer to really make a difference in your life. There are three things that he expects of us as believers. And he tells us very clearly And I'm not certain that as a church, we even, not just this church, but as a body of believers, that we actually focus on the three of these things. He says, first of all, when ye give, the first part of chapter 6, he's talking about almsgiving. He said, when ye give, ye give in secret. For your Father, which seeth in secret, rewards you openly. And then he says here, he says, when you pray, don't pray like them, but you pray in your secret closet, for your Father which seeth in secret rewards thee openly. And then he says, at the end of chapter 6, he says, when ye fast, don't fast like, these, like the Pharisees. But he says, for your Father that seeth in secret, he rewards openly. So what we have here over and over and over, your father which sees in secret. When you give alms in a scriptural way, when you give prayer and when you extend prayer as you ought to, and when you fast as you ought to, what you are doing in that, at that particular moment, you are acknowledging that you are coming before an omnipotent, holy God. The father which sees in secret. He knows what you are. When you don't want anybody else to know. He knows what, how you give. He knows your motives for giving. When people only see certain things, God knows all about it. So this, the significance of this prayer is that we have to extend it because of this trinity. Ye give, ye pray, ye fast. He says, because your father which sees in secret rewards you openly. It's not about the reward. It's about honoring the father that knows everything about you. That makes me want to change the way I focus on things. It makes me want to truly see God 
as high and lifted up. I want to see him like Isaiah saw him with a with the rainbow around the throne. I want to see him not just... The Jewish people saw him as so holy, they wouldn't even mention his name. But they were afraid to say Jehovah. And, and that's not what God wants from us. He doesn't want us to be afraid, but he does want us to revere him. Our current culture, we see God as the good buddy up in the sky. Right? And we've become so familiar. One of the great studies in the scriptures, find out what happens when we get too familiar with holy things. We get too familiar. And we lose the importance of seeing God as a holy God. So the first thing that he wants us to do, and why prayer is so important to God the Father, it reveals the heart of those that truly know him, revere him, and it leads to worship. It leads to worship. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It says, I worship you because you are a holy God. We also see that it reveals a heart that desires to know and obey his word. When, when ye pray, Jesus is saying, I expect you to do that. It's an expectation. The word of God makes it very clear that this is what he wants for his people. You cannot be obedient to Christ. You cannot be obedient to his word and not pray. So what he wants his children to do. Prayer empowers God's children. Empowers us to keep his word, to obey his will, to have victory over sin. Let me share just something with you real quickly. We know that Jesus prayed a great deal when he prayed for his disciples. There was one thing, one of the things that we are uh, very good at, we share prayer requests all the time, and we should do that. Jesus has one prayer request found in Matthew 9, 38. It's the only thing that Jesus ever asked his disciples to pray about as a prayer request. He says this, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. That's a good request, isn't it? So I wonder how many of his disciples went that day and said, we're going to start praying this. We're going to start praying for the Lord to send laborers into the harvest. Well, they bite of. Because let me show you what happened in chapter 10. And when he called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. He gives us the names of these 12 and then he gives them a mission. Go not into the way of the Gentiles and in every city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What he did, he said, you are the answer to my prayer request. He said, you prayed it. I told you to pray it. That's what I needed. And now you're going to be my answer. That is where God's people need to be today. We need to be willing to be the answer to the prayer requests that we have and that God has for us. We need to be willing to do the thing that God desires from us. When people pray, you might be the answer to their prayer. Do it if you can. You say, well, I don't know that God wants me to do it. Is it right? Do right. Do what you know to do, and God will honor that. You see... 
First of all, we see that God values and treasures prayer so highly because it reveals the heart of those that revere God and it results in worship. It reveals a heart that desire to know and obey his word. And it also reveals a heart that desires to align their will with God's will. In Matthew 6, again, he says this, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever tried to, to align your will with God's will? God's will is one of those things we think is awful mysterious, right? We always ask our young people, when they get ready to graduate high school, what's God's will for your life? What are you going to do? They graduate college. Well, first of all, they didn't know then. And when they graduate college, we ask them again. So what's God's will for your life? What are you going to do? They see no, they don't know what the future holds. They don't know what 10 years down the road holds. You know what? What's God's will? Do what you know to do today. And when you do what you know is God's will today, he'll reveal something else tomorrow. One of the things that I find so interesting is that, yes, we understand that this is close to the heart of God because it reveals our hearts, that we revere him and it results in our worship to him. It reveals our heart that wants to know and obey his word. It reveals when we get to the place where we want our will to be aligned with his will. But he also says this. He says, give us this day our daily bread. That's a good prayer for folks back then that don't have retirement and that don't have a lot of stuff and they didn't have a whole lot. It was a good prayer for them because they needed their daily bread. We see that as food. They need that every day. So they were just asking God to give, just like the birds uh, expect God to provide for them. But do you know what? I think in our churches, in our homes, in our organizations, in our jobs, we get so focused on designing programs for the future and making sure that we have everything we need to see how things are going in 30 years, especially when we retire, that we don't necessarily pray this and expect God to give us something today. I'm not saying that you shouldn't plan. But I am saying when he gives us this prayer, he says, pray for my provision. So what is the provision for this body of believers? We say, well, we need money to uh, keep things operating. Okay, pray for that today. That you'll get what we need today to operate this facility. Maybe, just maybe, there's something else that God wants us to do today. Maybe there's another provision. Maybe when we talk about our mission program, I believe that we ought to go around the world and try to see people hear the truth of the gospel. Do you believe that? I believe it. So when we pray, do we believe by faith God's going to do it or not? Let's Ask God for what we need for our provision today. And then tomorrow we'll do it again. And tomorrow we'll do it again. And we will find a dependency in our life that frees us instead of embondages us. Give us this day our daily bread. And let me just tell you something. When you start talking about faith. And start talking about people, God doing something, doing the big thing. People think you're crazy. 
I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. This prayer is a model prayer that honors God. And what it does, it reveals our willingness to be completely dependent upon him for our provision, for our protection, for our purpose. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is my opinion, okay? I'm going to go away from the scripture for just a second. It's my opinion. We live in an evil world. Is that your opinion? I remember when I was in the seventh grade, I had a teacher. I was out in a public school, and we were in a very religious community. We lived out in Utah. And the teacher asked us, how many of you believe people are basically good? Everybody in that class, about 30 of us, me and one other person said, no, we don't believe that. Because I believe we have a depraved nature. I believe that we're not basically good. Apart from the grace of God, there is none good, no, not one. So I think about that. We live in a society now that believes we're basically all good and we can do whatever we want and it's all okay. But let me just tell you something. What Jesus says, he says, you pray and reveal your heart to a holy God that sees that you are willing to be completely dependent on everything, dependent on God for everything in your life. If you're going to live to be a good old age, then you live as if every breath is your last. All right. It reveals a heart that desires to be aligned with God's will. It reveals a heart that exhibits a complete dependence upon God for everything in life. Provision, protection, whatever it is that we need. This is the God that knows it. He says, don't be like the heathens. Because your father already knows what you need. Do you believe that? I believe he does. And one other thing I wanted to share with you, it reveals a heart that displays the character of God as we extend love and mercy to those that we think don't deserve it. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, right before Jesus goes on to teaching about almsgiving and helping those that uh, are less fortunate and don't have everything they need, he says, I'm going to use you to help them. And before he teaches on prayer, before he teaches on fasting, he says this to them. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. When we sang that song, about what a friend I have in Jesus. Did you see everything in that song it said? Talked about your pain that you have to bring to him. Talked about all these different conditions. And as I'm reading those words, I'm thinking, yeah, that's me. That's me right now. I've got these issues. I've got issues. Do you have issues? You do, yep. You do have issues, I'm telling you, all right? The reality is, we sing the song, we see the words, 
And I wonder, is my heart there? Is my heart really in a position that I want to bring everything to him? I just keep a few things for myself. I can handle some of this stuff, right? I can't handle any of it. I can't handle any of the issues. And you can't either. And I'm just telling you, we have a verse. It's in your bulletin. And let me just tell you, I lost my bulletin. And I lost the little thing that says when I'm supposed to speak and when I'm supposed to stop. So I don't, so, so I don't know where that is either. But I want to give you this. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And here's our verse. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Did I tell you the verse? Matthew 6, 21. Oh, that's after Matthew 6, 1. And that's after Matthew 6, 9. And that's after Matthew 6, 16. That deals with giving, praying, and fasting. Did you see it? Lay up your treasures in heaven. It's how you give. It's how you pray. It's how you fast. That are these treasures that we're laying up in heaven. That's what it is. This is what it's talking about. This little trinity of giving and praying and fasting empowers the people of God to do miraculous things. Things that you can't even think. Scripture says that he will do exceedingly abundantly. More than anything we can think or ask for. Do you believe it? Do you believe that the God that you serve, hallowed be thy name, this holy God, do you believe this holy God can do more than you can think of? And I know some of y'all's imaginations are like crazy. You can see big things. And I believe a big God can do more than any finite mind of a human being can do. I believe it. I believe this is the power source of everything else that we talked about with treasuring what God treasures. His word. Without prayer, you need prayer so that the spirit of God helps you understand his word. And prayer will enable you to be obedient to his word. But I think about worship. Last couple weeks, we've had some awesome messages here about worship. Prayer leads me to worship, it's a power source for me to be able to worship as I ought to. It enables me to give, not just almsgiving, but tithes and offerings. It allows me to give of my heart to a holy God. And then last week we saw the example of service. Prayer, one of the genuine qualities of prayer is humility. And humility will allow you to serve like no other way. You see, prayer is connected to it all. Everything that God treasures, he, he treasures those things, but it's connected to the prayer of God's people. And it's not that we're trying to change God's mind. It's simply that this is the avenue he's used 
for his people to come before him as a father. Let me just tell you, fathers and grandfathers are different. He's not just an old man sitting up there. We see him like his father time. That's not God. God is our father. And I will tell you that sometimes grandfathers, we can be talked into stuff that may not be the best for our grandkids. Right? I have a four-year-old. She says this every week. Poppy, you off tomorrow? And if it's Saturday, I say yes. Can we get donuts? (laughs) Every Saturday. That's what she wants. And you know what? I give in most Saturdays because I enjoy the time, but whether it's the best for her may not be so. But I'll tell you this, God will always do right by you as your father. He is, as a father, he is the best. He is kind, he is beneficent, but he also will provide everything you need. He will deal with you in the right way. We live in a fatherless society. And we hear it over and over. So people don't understand the fatherhood of God. But I will tell you, he is a kind father. And he says, when you approach me, that's what I want. I want the relationship with you. The relationship that I have with you empowers you to accomplish anything and everything I want. I believe it. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you bless your word this morning. Lord, we know there's so much to talk about when it comes to prayer. And we know there's so much, so many lists that we could give and so many rules we could sort of talk about. And Lord, I want us to, I want the love of Christ to constrain us. Lord, I don't want guilt to make us pray more. I don't want guilt to move us to think that we're inadequate or we're weak. We are. And we need your spirit to help us in these areas. So, Father, we thank you for taking the time to give us this great privilege to come boldly before the throne of grace. And, Lord, we ask that you change our hearts. We ask that we see power in our churches, power in our lives. Lord, we ask that you will see reverence coming from us. Lord, we ask that you, because you're the the Father that see us in secret. You know everything about us. You know our heart. And left to our own devices, we know there's nothing good there. But through the sacrificial blood of Christ, we know that you see us as righteous. So, Father, we ask that you help us to recognize the things that you treasure the most and value them as you do. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.